and uh, I apologize for those of you he yelled at this morning. Good cop, bad cop, you're safe. Here comes the good cop. But, um, amen. Let's, um, that's not what I'm talking about. Let's go to Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 this morning. Let me, let me say this. Don't be, you hear that, I mean, I know there's kids we hear, but don't, don't be afraid of quietness, of stillness, of silence. In our modern church world, we've got to worry, if it's not amped up and we don't feel something and we don't feel like running, that it's awkward. But I love Psalm 46, and be still and know that I am God, right? And every character in the Bible that we read about that had this major revelation, who God used in some way, they all had moments of stillness, moments of silence. Uh, you know, Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, right, before he was, he was given his assignment. And Jesus often, it said, would get alone, away from all the, the hustle and the bustle, and, you know, he'd just get where it was quiet. So don't be in these, I call these holy moments. Don't feel awkward in those holy moments. Because remember Elisha? He felt the earthquake. Surely God's there, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Felt the wind. Surely God's there, but God wasn't in the wind. But he was in the still, small voice. So don't, you know, listen. God's, gonna, God's calling, I think, some of us to a place of stillness. So this morning, what I want to talk about, you know, I shared over this body that we are about to, I believe, grow in our awareness of, of, our, of, the, God, of the presence of God, all right? Thursday evening, I, I talked about here at the church, I talked about the six things that make God, God. All right, And this stuff, when, when we talk about those, when we talk about those attributes, it's not something that gets people excited. It's not something that gets people fired up often. You know, I even joked with the people there. We had a really good crowd on Thursday evening, but I, I made a joke. I said, this is the message only Logan's going to like. Right? It's like, it's, when we talk about the attributes of God, it's like the Bible nerds are going to love that stuff, right? Um, and we, we yawn a lot of times. But I want you to know, there's, we're about to grow in an understanding of the reverence of the Lord, of the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Not being scared to death that He's going to strike you down, but this, He is the one that is worthy Period. All right? But he is the one who is worthy of our reverence. But let's, let me talk about these six things before I get off track here. The first one I want to talk about, there are six things that make God God, and these six things are the reason that he is God and you are not. Number one, God is eternal. All right? And Thursday night I went through the scriptures. I'm not going to go through the scriptures. But God is eternal. That means... God has no beginning or no end. And listen, I'm going to go somewhere with all this, so just bear with me. God knows no beginning or no end. Now, on the flip side of that, those of us uh, in this body, we had a beginning. And when it comes to our time in the body, we will have an end. Right? Now, I know we're eternal be you know, we will, we will live in eternity somewhere, but the Bible consistently talks about over and over that our time here is a vapor. It is short, but God cannot point to a moment. I can point to June 1st, 1988 and say that's when I entered this world, right? God cannot say that. There is, he doesn't have a birthday, all right? Uh, the next thing is God is self-existent. That means he doesn't owe his existence to any other, nor does he have to depend on someone for his existence. Um, you and I can point to our parents and say they're the reason we exist in the natural, okay? And uh, many of us have either experienced it or, you know, 
We depend on other people for our existence through maybe medical means, doctors, and things like that. And, of course, God is the one who gives us our life. So our very life, we cannot say we are self-existent. But God is self-existent. The third thing is He's unchangeable. The God of the Bible never changes. His way of dealing with man changes, but He never changes. All right. Now listen to me when I say this. Many things have changed on this side of the cross. God is not one of them. Did you hear that? Many things have changed on this side of the cross. God is not one of them. Now, man on the other end, we're always changing. We're always changing. I am a different person today than I was a year ago. I'm a different person I was now than I was 10 years ago. We are always in the process of changing, but God never changes. God is all-powerful, which means nothing is too hard for Him, yet our strength knows its limits. And every individual in here this morning, you have weaknesses, okay? God is all-knowing. The God of the Bible knows all things at all times. He never has to learn or be educated about anything. There's something that you probably need to take to your prayer life. If you spend all your time in prayer informing poor, misinformed God... You're wasting your breath. He said, I, your father knows you have need of all these things. But now we are always learning and always being educated. Anything you know in here this morning, there was a time in your life that you had to learn that thing. All of us, you know, if, if, you're, if you can drive and, and, and you drove here this morning, there was a time in your life where you had to learn to drive, okay? But now God has never needed anyone to teach him anything. So God is all-knowing. And the last one, God is all-present. The God of the Bible is everywhere at all times. He is not limited by space or time. But here this morning, the reason I'm here and not at home is because I can only be in one place at one time. All right. So those are the six things that make God God. He's eternal. He's self-existent. He's unchangeable. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. I know what you're thinking. That is really, really boring. But here's my point. The only way, when you see the bigness of God, the God who is eternal, the God who is self-existent, the God who is all-knowing, the God who is all-powerful, the, the God who is, is all-present, when you see how big this God is and how small we are, when you can say like David in Psalm 8, verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? When you see how big God is, that brings you to one conclusion. Well, a couple conclusions. First one is obviously you need him. But another one is the only way I could ever know such a God is for him to reveal himself to me. The only way that humanity could know the God of the Bible is for Him to reveal Himself to us. How has He chosen to reveal Himself to us? You're looking at it. God, the eternal God, the self-existent God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, all, all these six things that make God God, the, the reason we know He is all these things, the reason you are in here this morning, the reason you know how to spell Jesus, the reason you know how to spell God is because He gave you a book. He gave it to us, and guess what He decided to do over the last thousands of years? He preserved this book. All right, Deuteronomy 29.29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are what? Revealed belong to us, I love this part, and to our children forever. Did you know that God gave you this word not only so you could fill your head with knowledge, but so you could also plant it into the hearts of your children? And if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you've got nieces, nephews, whatever, if we're not implanting this into them, we are lacking in our duties. 
as parents, as, as adults, right? Uh, belong to us and to our children forever that we may know or may, that we may do all the words of this law. Um, so God has chosen to reveal himself to us through the writings we know as the Bible. So listen to me this morning. We talked about growing in our awareness of him, experiencing his presence, but ultimately this is our source for knowing him. This is our source for knowing him. All right, Proverbs 29, 18. Because this is important to know. Why? Because I truly believe that every individual in here is about to begin to experience a more intimate, personal walk with the Lord. But as you do, you need a foundation. You need a guide. You need a source through which you can judge your experiences. Now, I have a, um, I have a test that I use. If you like to listen to various preachers, if you like to study, you know, what's right, what's wrong, all these things. Um, I mean, anything. It goes with anything. I have a test that I follow to see whether or not I want to go down that road. It's called the fruit test. Jesus talked about it. So when someone tells me about a, a minister, a church, a belief system a news station, whatever it is. And I say news station because, listen, there's a lot of Christians say, listen, you need to watch this news station. I'm like, not if, not if, I'm, not if you're the fruit of it. No, I'm good, right? Um, listen to me. So I do the fruit test. What's the fruit test? Is, that, is the fruit I see in the life of those who follow that teacher, who believe that way, who go to that church, who watch that news station, who read those books, what is the fruit? Is it fruit that I would want in my life? And if it's not, you know what I do? I don't care how nice the person is. I don't care how much you love them. I don't want it in my life. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation. Now, what, what's the ultimate revelation? Right here. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. I'm going to do my best to not be mean, okay? I'm going to try to just say this, get it out of my system, be done. When I look at the lives of those who have at one point said this is inspired and then reached a point where they said that's not as important, I don't need that. I can put it down. It's just another book that was just written by man. God has nothing to do with it. It's opinions of man. When I look at the fruit of those people, it stinks. And I want nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do with the bitterness. I don't want anything to do with the, the pride. I don't want anything to do with the anger. I don't want anything to do with, okay, since we've come into that revelation, we don't need church anymore, let's just close our church doors. I don't want anything to do with that. That stinks. That reeks. And why is that? Because where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The moment we say this is no longer our source for knowing God, this is no longer our source for life, that is the moment we begin to justify anything and everything. All right. Now listen to me. I allow differences of opinion. Logan and I discuss a lot of you know biblical things, and I am somebody I love to talk about those things. I have some, some of my best friends. We disagree on some you know big doctrines. All right. But for me, the one thing I will not budge on is this that this is inspired, that this is the ultimate revelation of God to man. And I'm telling you this morning, this might be the most important teaching I've ever preached to this church. And you may think that sounds boring. No, I'm telling you. Brian knows it, I know it, Logan knows it, other of you know it, that there are people who begin to get a hold of this gospel, this message. And they get to a place where, well, if all that's true, why do I need this? 
If God accepts me, no matter what, why do I need this? Right? The fruit of that thought and that belief stinks. But the moment, and so listen, you disagree with me on the rapture, you disagree with me on baptism, you disagree with me on church, you disagree with me on tithes and offerings, you disagree with me on um, you know, all these things, that's fine. But the moment you say, this is no longer necessary, I'm, that word is being used for a reason. But when you get to the place where you say, this is no longer necessary, I withdraw my fellowship. You no longer have a voice in my life. Now, who am I referring to? I'm t- now, obviously, I'm talking to about believers, right? That, that's Paul. John talked about that over and over. He said, listen, if anyone comes to you not having the doctrine of Christ, don't eat with them. Don't even invite them into your home. What's he saying? Don't do life with those people. Okay? So this book is our ultimate source of revelation. And this is something... Listen, when it comes to what I just said, there is no agreeing to disagree. Because as long as I'm talking to Logan and he believes this and I believe that, but this is ultimately our source, we've got, a common, we've got common ground. Right? We both agree, well, you know, this is ultimately what matters. But the moment you say, oh, yeah, but that don't matter. That was, that was just Prophet Jeremiah. That was just Prophet Isaiah. That was just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That don't matter. They're no different than me. Okay, the moment you say that, we no longer have common ground. And we can no longer discuss these things. And sadly, this is just me speaking. Obviously, I don't know everyone at all times. I've seen people begin to go down that road but come back. But I've never seen anyone who fully went down that road ever come back. I've yet to see them come back. Okay, so I believe there is justification. In, so listen, if you're listening to anyone, if you're reading after anyone, who is beginning to demean your love for the Bible or your trust in the Bible, I'm telling you, get rid of it. Shut it off. Turn it off. Close the book. Throw it away. It's garbage anyway. You don't need it. Right? I don't... We don't have... Listen, where the Lord is taking us, we don't have time to play with that junk. Can I just be serious? We don't have time to play with that junk. Your eyes and your ears, they're precious. They're precious. Why? Because they're the gates to your heart. And if you are listening to stuff that makes you doubt the value of the Word of God, I'm telling you, it's a bad road to go down. All right? And I want to read this really quick. This is by a man named Finnis Dake. He was the author of the Dake Study Bible. Um, he was an old-time Pentecostal minister. But I just want to, I want to read this to you really quick. So pay attention to me. This is what he said about the Bible. The Bible is God's inspired revelation of the origin and destiny of all things. It is the power of God unto eternal salvation and the source of of present help for the spirit, the soul, and the body. It is God's will and testament to men in all ages, revealing the plan of God for man here and now and in the next life. It is the record of God's dealings with man, past, present, and future. It contains God's message of eternal salvation to all who believe in Christ and eternal damnation to those who rebel against the gospel. Listen to this part. It is the book that contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts binding, its histories true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here heaven is open and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill your memory, rule your heart, and guide your feet in righteousness and true holiness. Read it slowly, frequently, 
prayerfully, meditatively, searchingly, and devotionally. Study it constantly, perseveringly, and industriously. Read it through and through until it becomes part of your being and generates faith that will move mountains. It is a mine of wealth, the source of health, and a word of pleasure. It is given to you in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and will last forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the least to the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. We can now go home. What else is there to say? Right? I am so thankful that I grew up in a home where this was put above all else. I was raised in Pentecostal churches. I was raised in a legalistic area, but we were not Pentecostal and we were not legalistic. We were word people. We were word people. Right? And, and so I'm so thankful for that. And if you didn't have that, growing up, then guess what? You need, to, you need to pioneer new territory for your children. You need to pioneer new territory for your family. right? Let's go to John chapter 1 and begin with uh, verse 1. And I don't know if I'll finish this today. I might have to uh, finish it in a couple weeks. Um, John chapter 1 verse 1. I'm going to read something here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, so notice we're dealing with an individual, He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let me ask you, who's that talking about? Jesus. Right? So, Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. So we do understand that when we talk about the Word, that we're not just referring to words and letters on a page, but we are first and foremost referring to an individual. We are first and foremost referring to a person. Revelation chapter 19 Verse, uh, begin with verse 11. It's a message on the Bible. I figured we might as well read the Bible. Uh, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now who is this? This is Jesus. This is not hippie Jesus. Because here's Jesus coming back, and what's he coming to do? Judge and make war. I don't know, you do with that, with that whatever you want to, I don't care. Um, I won't preach on that. But His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called, what? The Word of God. And the armies in heaven, do you realize that in heaven there are armies? Hmm. Do with that whatever you want, I don't care. <laughs> Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should do what? Strike the nations. Do with that whatever you want to, I don't care. All right? And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads, uh, treads the winepress wine of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You already know what I'm going to say. Do with that whatever you want. I don't care. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. So who is that? That's Jesus. And he's called the Word of God. So we see here clearly that Jesus, the person of Jesus, he is the Word of God. Now, this is where people begin to see this and go down that road. Well, see, Jesus is the Word, not the Scripture. Okay, how do you know? Well, the scripture says in John chapter 1, verse. okay. You just lost all validity in your argument. All right? If you have to use scripture to make your argument, you should probably put some value in the scripture. All right? So, but listen to me. Jesus is the word of God. Do we see that? Do we agree with that? So what does that mean, though? 
So since Jesus is the Word of God, that means that Jesus is God's message to humanity. All right? Since He is the Word of God. Hebrews 1 and, and, and verse three, verses 2 and 3 talks about how Jesus is the express image of the Father. Jesus would, he was so, he would go around and he would say things like, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. So we know that any, and we are called to have what? The mind of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something, that's not automatic. How do you know? Because listen, I've done some stuff, and I think to myself, surely Jesus isn't that stupid. All right? Surely Jesus isn't that stupid, me going around claiming to have the mind of Christ and doing some of the things I've done. All right? The mind of Christ is not automatic, but it is something that you can possess. It is a mind, let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let this mind. It's not automatic. It's something you have to choose. So what is it? It's a mindset that says, I'm going to think like God. Whatever God says, that's what I'm going to say. Whatever God does, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever God believes, that's what I'm going to believe. Right? So if, he is the, if Jesus is the Word of God, and He perfectly represented the Father, and we're called to have the mind of Christ, then let's do this. Let's see what Jesus thought and said about the Scriptures. And whatever Jesus said about the Scriptures, we know that's what God would say about the Scriptures. Does that sound good to you? That sounds, that sounds, sounds A-OK -okay to me, right? Let's go to Mark chapter 7 and verse 9. Mark chapter 7. We're going to begin with verse 9. So we all agree that Jesus is the Word so let's, say, let's see what the Word of God had to say about the Scriptures. Mark 7, verse 9. He said to them, Jesus, All too well you reject... Now what's he saying here? The commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. Now look at these next three uh, words. For who said? For who said? Moses said. For Moses said. Who said it? Moses. Come on now, y'all can read. Who said it? Moses. Moses. Alright. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Now he is quoting Exodus 20.12 and Deuteronomy 5.16, Exodus 21.17 and Leviticus 29. Alright. So Moses said, verse 11, But you say, if a man says the father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Now look here. Now who said that? Now Jesus said that, but who's he quoting? Moses. Alright? Verse 13. So he said, Moses said, but you say, verse 13, making what? The word of who? The word of who? The word of who? The word of who? But who said it? Moses. Right? It's getting confusing. I understand. Moses said, and you're disagreeing with Moses. You're saying the opposite of what Moses said. And you know what you're doing? You're making the word of who? God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. So notice what he does. He uses three terms interchangeably. The commandments, Moses said, the word of God. So we can see here that Jesus, the word of God, considered what Moses said to be the word of God. So here's the Word of God saying, what Moses said, that's the Word of God. Alright? Now listen to me. I'm going to give you another thing that people say, and it's ignorant. It's wrong. Alright? Listen. See that word? Word? There are two words that are primarily in the Greek that are primarily translated as word. It's logos and rhema. And I've heard people say, well, logos is only referring 
referring to Jesus. Never Scripture. This word right here is making the Logos of God of no effect. So according to Jesus here, the Word of God is the Logos of God. It's, and what's he talking about? What's he quoting? Scripture. So here's Jesus saying what Moses said is the Word of God. Can you see that? John Logan's got it. All right, let's go slow class this morning. Come on, guys. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, begin with verse 30. So Jesus speaking again, he says, I and my Father are what? One. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written where? In your law. I said, You are gods. If who? He, speaking of God, called them gods, to whom? What? The word of who? God. Wait now. He said up here, It's written in your law, but then he calls it what? The word of God. Came. Now what's he say? And what? The scripture cannot be broken. Do you see that? He's calling the word of God scripture. Scripture, the word of God. And he is quoting, if you would like to look it up in your own time, he's quoting the 82nd Psalm. So, here's Jesus. He's, we've already seen he said what Moses said is the word of God. And here he is, and he's saying what David said in the Psalms is the word of God. And then he goes even further and says, the scripture, that's the word of God. And it cannot be broken. So here Jesus used the term, your law, word of God, and scripture interchangeably. Now here's, here's one of my, my favorite arguments that people say. Yeah, but you know, Romans... Ephesians, Galatians. These guys didn't know they were writing Scripture. They had no idea. Well, let's see. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is going to equip you. Because listen, guys, we... Listen. Deception's about to get a whole lot worse. Not only in the world, but in the church. All right? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul. So who's Peter talking about here? Paul, right? The Apostle Paul. According to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Has written to you. Now, have you ever thought about this? Genesis through Malachi. If God didn't care about it being written down, listen, these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they could have just said it. But God didn't just want them to say it. He, had them, he instructed them to write it down. There's something to that, okay? But let's read on here. As in, uh, According to the wisdom given to him, he has written to you, as in also all his what? Epistles. All his letters. Speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Now, I love that because here's a man of God who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, uh, you know, uh, slept just, just feet away from him at night, right? And here he is, seen him on the cross, seen his resurrected, glorified body. But here, here is Peter, and when he talks about what Paul has written down, he says, listen, I ain't going to lie, I feel stupid sometimes when I'm reading what Paul said. And which are some things hard to understand. Now look here, look what he says. Which untaught, and I love this word, unstable people, what do they do? They twist it to what? Their own destruction. It's not a light matter. 
we're not just talking about a little disagreement. But now look here at the last of this. I'm not going to preach on that. Just so you know, you guys know, launched a weekly podcast. Coming the next couple weeks, I'll be talking more about this. But um, look what he says. So he's talking about Paul's writings, right? As they do also... Now, if he just said the Scriptures, you could make the argument that Peter didn't see what Paul said as Scriptures. But that's not what he said. He said, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. So he's seeing what Paul wrote down in his epistles as something that's being added to the Scriptures. And Jesus said the Scriptures are what? The Word of God. And they cannot what? Be broken. And when you try to break them, they break you. To their own destruction. Come on now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Alright, yeah, well Peter, but you know Paul was probably a little bit more humble than that. That was Peter, Grant. Maybe Paul was a little bit more humble than that. He didn't see himself as some, somebody who was is, who is speaking the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received what? When you received the Word of who? Which you heard from who? Huh. Not just him. Us. Hmm. Okay. Listen here. You welcomed it not as the word of men. Look here. But as it is in truth. You know what he's saying? The way you received it, that was the way you were supposed to receive it. How'd they receive it? As if it was the word of who? God which also effectively works in you who believe. The word that works for you is the word that you believe. If it's not working for you, you don't believe it. All right. But notice what Paul said. I came preaching to you, I wrote some things to you, and you received it exactly how you were supposed to receive it. Not as the word of mere men, but as the word of God. Do you see that? All right, now, I got a big one for you. Go to Luke chapter 24. So that was, that was Peter and Paul. So we see they, they believed that what they were writing, that what they were preaching was going to be the word of God. It was the word of God. Look here now, Luke 24 Begin with verse 13. Now behold, so Jesus has just been resurrected, but he's not yet appeared to his disciples. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. And you know what's astonishing to us is Jesus told them, I'm going to be raised from the dead three days later. That's just, you know, like, like Andrew Womack says, there's a reason they're called disciples, right? Um, 
verse 23, When they did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now they never heard the prophets speak this. They never heard Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Malachi and all, all these guys. So how did they hear the prophets? It was written. It was written. All right. But now notice 1 Thessalonians 2.13 where the word is working effectively in you that believe. Well, he says the problem right here, you're slow of heart to believe. You can do with that whatever you want to. I'm not here to preach on that. But, um, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Look here. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the what? In all the what? Scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jump down to verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. In other words, the Scriptures, which are the Word of God. Verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Now this is big. Here is a resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about you, but that's proof. that seems to be proof enough for me. Why didn't Jesus just show up and go, oh, like, here I am. I am the Word of God. Here I am. If you need any further proof that I am who I say I am, here I is. But I want you to notice what he did. He opened their understanding. Not that they might see him. Not that they might, oh, that's Jesus. No. He wanted them to comprehend the scriptures. Listen to me. Jesus preached Jesus using the scriptures. Jesus, the Word of God, preached the Word of God using the Word of God. To Jesus, it wasn't just enough to say, here I am, here's the hands, here, here's the wound in the hands, here's the wound in the feet, here's the, here's the pierced side. That wasn't enough. He said, no, let's, let's, let's start. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Of course, he didn't say chapter and verse. I'm aware of that. But in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And I just see how that goes. And I've shared this with you guys before. There's seven words in the Hebrew in that very first verse. Three are translated. The first three words are translated. The last three aren't. And right in the middle is the Aleph Tav that is not even translated. The Aleph Tav, all through the Old Testament, it's Jesus' signature. It's letting, so right in the middle, right there, it's like in the Hebrew, here I am. Don't read. A few years ago, I was reading Genesis 1, and I was just going through the motions. You know how you do. Let's be honest. We're not all super holy. You know, we have those moments. We're just reading to be reading. And God stopped me at verse 14. He said, don't read this as if Jesus isn't here. Don't read this as if this is disconnected from everything you're about to read from this point through to the book of Revelation." So Jesus began at Genesis, took them all the way to Malachi and says, I've been here the entire time. I've been here the entire time. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's deal with this. So we see that Paul had a high we see that Paul had a high regard for scripture. Peter had a high regard for scripture. But more important than even that, 
Jesus had a high regard for the Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now let me share this with you. We have mistakenly, and I'm just kind of referring to at large, not me and Jeremiah or anyone else specifically, but we've kind of took rightly dividing the word of truth and we've acted as if what that means is the, the largest section of your Bible doesn't count. Don't be afraid of that stillness. God is speaking. How do I know that's not what Paul is saying? See, this is the problem with the way we do things. We tend to just quote a verse here and there, take it out of its context. Right? You've got to realize 2 Timothy was a letter that Paul wrote right, to Timothy. So Timothy didn't read, okay, let me read chapter 1 today. Okay, I'll read chapter 2 tomorrow. That's not what Paul did. That's not what Timothy did. Timothy sat and read this whole letter. Why? Because it was his father in the faith speaking to him. He cared what Paul had to say. But how do I know rightly divide the word doesn't mean throw some of it out. 2 Timothy. Second what? Timothy. So it's in the same letter. Chapter 3, verse 16. So if he'd been talking... About 30 seconds later, he probably would have said this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All what? All what? Is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration could literally be translated as the breath of God. Do you know every time you say a word, you breathe? You can't speak and hold your breath. You can't do it. Every time you speak, breath is released. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What's he saying? It's the Word of God. So here he says, rightly divide the Word of truth, but then, in, like, like I said, if you was reading it 30 seconds later, a minute later tops, he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what this tells me. If there's any... Notice, all Scripture. All Scripture. So if there's any part of the Scripture that you say, nah, I don't need that one. I don't need that part. Now, now listen, hear me out. We teach faith righteousness here. I'm not talking about you doing to become righteous. That's not what we're referring to here. We're going to get to more of this exactly what I'm saying, but just I'm just saying that. I can hear somebody like screaming in their like mind, like, oh my God, he's saying I gotta keep off Leviticus. Um, that the man so if there's any part of scripture that you say, I don't really need that, then you can't be complete. You can't be whole. You can't be thoroughly equipped. If you say, I don't need that, there's nothing for me there, you are limited in what you can do for God. You are limited in your purpose and how much you'll accomplish. You are limited in how far you will go into being conformed to the image of Christ. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want to be complete. I want to be whole. I want to be mature. I want to be thoroughly equipped. All right? Go with me. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean. And go with me really quick to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. So now, here's the thing. So let's, let me, so you don't, your head don't explode. Scripture is too late, Tim said. Deep, ain't it, Tim? Uh all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But now listen, there's a difference. Hear me. There is a difference in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. There is a difference in the law and the commandments. 
between those two things, between the Old Covenant and Old Testament, one of those has been made obsolete. One of those has not. The Old Covenant has been made obsolete. What's a covenant? A covenant says, all right, this is the way things are going to work. God says, here's my commandments. If you do this, you'll get this. If you don't do that, you'll get that. Right? It's, it's an agreement that here's what's going to happen when you do this. All right, so a covenant is an agreement on how this thing's going to work. So the old covenant was, here's all these commandments. The commandments weren't the problem. What was the problem was our inability to keep them. And then God said, and here's the problem. Uh, if you can't keep those, cursed are you in the city, cursed you're in the field, cursed is your health, cursed is your children, cursed is the nation. All these things are cursed. That was the issue. Why? Because man couldn't do it. We couldn't keep it. That has been made obsolete. This new covenant, it's, it, your righteousness is not about your performance. Your standing with God is not about your performance. So that's why Paul would say, speaking of Genesis through Malachi, all scripture is given for instruction in righteousness. Genesis through Malachi couldn't tell you how they weren't given for righteousness. Jesus was given for righteousness. But Genesis through Malachi were given for instruction in righteousness. Because listen, when we talk about the law and the commandments, remember, one of those has been made obsolete. One of those has not. All right? That's another subject for another day. But listen here, Acts chapter 26. Because listen, what did Jesus preach? The scripture. Right? And he wasn't saying, all right, listen here, you two dummies. I know you're not getting this, but if you'll go to, a, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, if you'll go to Galatians, chapter 3, you'll see this. No, he took them through Genesis through Malachi, right? But look here in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 26, verses 19 through 23. We're, we're, we're about to go home with this. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declare first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem. So this is Paul speaking. And throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying, I want you to notice these three words. Saying, no other things, saying no other things, saying no other, do you believe what he said? But yet, that adds a new wrinkle in our brain when we think that these mysteries that Paul understood, because listen, I'm going to tell you something, it's, it's popular, and I've heard some of my favorite preachers say, well, Paul got saved. Then he went over to Arabia, he was in a cave for three years, and Jesus showed up and taught him about the rapture, taught him about the bride of Christ, taught him all these revelations that he has. There's one problem with that. Scripture doesn't say that. There's no scripture that says that Paul hid in a cave and a post-resurrected Lord appeared to him and taught these things. You want me to tell you where Paul got his mysteries? You want me to tell you where he seen, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He went to the scriptures with a new lens. Suddenly, he wasn't viewing it through the letter as a, as, a, as a legalist. Suddenly, he was reading the scriptures knowing that Jesus is Lord, and he's all through there. And he began to see Jesus everywhere. That's where Paul got his mysteries. That's where Paul got his revelation. But look here, he said, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So listen to me, guys. The revelation of the New Testament came because men knew the lens to look at, and they meditated on the Old Testament, and they seen these mysteries. And the reason I, I... So there's nothing recorded in the New Testament that isn't in the Old Testament in some form. It might be directly. It might be through a commandment. It might be through a prophecy. It might be through a shadow. It might be through a type. But everything Paul seen, everything Peter seen, John seen, they 
got it from the Scriptures. And here's why I'm saying that. This is going to be... Listen, God's going to show you some really cool stuff in your personal time with Him. I believe that. But as He does, you're going to find that He's always going to back it up with this. You know, no matter how you feel about Kenneth Hagin, I love something Kenneth Hagin said years ago. Kenneth Hagin said that Jesus appeared to him and was teaching him some things. And he said he stopped Jesus. Now, like I said, you can believe what you want to, but I think there's a great lesson here. He said he stopped Jesus and said, I'm going to need scripture for that. And he said Jesus gladly gave it to him. So maybe sometimes if, if you ever hear something coming to you and you think, now that, I don't, that seems off to me. Whether it's a man, a woman, of God, somebody you trust, no matter what, can you show me scripture for that? See, this, this has to become the most important thing that we possess. It does. This has to become the most important thing that we possess. And I'm going to get to this. I'll get to this in a couple weeks. We'll finish this up in a couple weeks. I think it's important we take our time with this. Your experience will never trump it is written. Thus saith the Lord will never be more important than it is written. That's important. Because talking about Jesus, Jesus heard. Which, and if Jesus heard it, you know everybody there heard it. You, if Jesus heard it, you know the devil heard it. Let me put it that way. Jesus heard a voice from heaven say, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The devil shows up and the devil says, Well, if you are the Son of God, do this. You know what I would have said? Hey, stupid. I know you heard that big booming voice the other day. Hey, stupid. I, I, like, listen, I heard the voice. You heard the voice. I am. It's not what Jesus did. He said, it is written. Three times, it is written. Another time, it is written. All right? So... Shouldn't we follow that example? Peter would go and talk about the experience he had. We'll get this a couple weeks. Peter talked about his experience. And he said, listen, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, because, yeah, I know I've heard the voice. I know I've seen the resurrected Christ. But that is why I know what I'm teaching, what I'm preaching, what I'm believing is, is, more, is true because of the more sure word of prophecy. Right? Don't let anyone or anything shake you off that word. And I know I'm talking a lot about teaching and stuff, but listen, in your everyday life, don't let anything shake you from what that says. If you got sickness in your body, don't let it shake you off by His stripes you were healed. If, you, if the bank account is red, don't, don't let it knock you off of that through His poverty we might be made rich. If you are, I mean, on and on and on we could go. Don't let it knock you off what the Word says. This right here is... And parents, I just, listen, I'm serious. Parents, one of my favorite things that you'll find in the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, is over and over God tells the people, all right, I'm giving you my Word, and I want you to do something with it. I want you to put it in your heart, put it in your mouth, and I want you to teach it to your children. A lot of our issues in this country is because us, we as parents, stopped teaching this to our children. All right? For, for, for me and my house, listen... This isn't optional. This isn't an add-on. This is the most important thing. Well, what about Jesus? This is how I know how to spell Jesus. This is how I knew to come to Jesus. This is, has anyone in here, let me ask you something, guys. Do you believe that Jesus died, buried, and was resurrected? Do you believe that? Why do you believe that? 
even if somebody, even if a preacher, it, you know, you was in a service and heard a preacher tell it to you for the first time that it clicked, that preacher got it from here. No matter what, even if he taught other things that were crazy, he got, he got the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus from here or she. Right? So don't let go of this. Jesus said don't let go of it. Paul said don't let go of it. Peter said don't let go of it. In a couple weeks, I'm going to share some things with you I want you to know. But in the meantime, let me say this. Don't feel, because I, I want to I say this, because I don't want you to walk out of here feeling condemned and feeling like I was like, you need to read the Bible more. Well, let me tell you something, nicely as I can. You need to read the Bible more. But listen to me, listen to me seriously, all right? Just start. It's not a competition. It's not a, you know, it's not a race to see who can know the most scriptures, to see who can read the most through a day. But listen, my favorite portion of the day is when I first wake up, thank God for coffee, I get my coffee. Amen. About to talk in tongues. Come on now. About to get a fresh baptism. But listen, but then I sit down and I allow the Lord to minister to me through His Word. It doesn't matter. if, And you know some days, and you guys know my routine. I won't go through all that. I'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But some days I get one verse in. Some days I don't even get my Bible open and a scripture is already being quickened to me. And you know what I do? I don't sit there and say, oh, no, I got all these chapters I got to get done. I got it, no, I got it, no. I, I go, I will always go look at it. I think that's important. I always go look at it. But then I just let the Lord minister to me through that verse, through that scripture. And sometimes it's not even a verse. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's a portion. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is just start. Just begin. Man. Help me, Lord, to shut up. Oh, my gosh. It was all over me this morning with you guys. You, got, you guys just draw it out. You know, that's just, that's just what it is. I, we're word people. We're word people. And if we're not, you about to be a word person. So, all right. I'm going to hush. Okay. Father, I thank you. I'm just going to just start praying because I'm sorry. Just, Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your truth, for your scriptures. I thank you for that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I thank you that in this week, in the coming days ahead, we are going to grow in our love for your scriptures. Grow in our love and in our passion and in our hunger for this book, for these words. That these will no longer be just be words on a page, words on a device, but they will become the very words of God entering into our heart, bringing the change, conforming us to the image of your Son. Lord, give us wisdom. Show us how to teach, teach these things to our children. Show us, show us how to rightly divide the word of truth in the way that you prescribed. Show us Jesus in the scriptures. Feed us the bread of life. Feed us the manna from heaven in your word. Lord, Everything we encounter in this life is temporary except your word. Your word, it lives and it abides forever. So I thank you for that. I thank you what you've done in here this morning. I thank you for the words that have come forth. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are free to have relationship with you. I pray that a spirit of wisdom and revelation rest upon the people here at Grace Point Church. That we would begin to draw out the wisdom of your word. That we would begin to see things that we've never seen before in your word. 
fresh revelation, fresh revelation, fresh revelation over these people in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray this morning, we rebuke any discouragement, we rebuke any, any comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. It's not about that. It's just about you. It's about your word. So Lord, lead and guide each person in here. Show them how to apply this to their life. Show them what to do with this word. I thank you. I praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Love you all. Uh, Thursday, 6 o'clock. Logan will be preaching, and he will not be as loud. I'll turn his microphone down if he gets loud. I'm sure. So it'll be good. Love you guys. Oh, yeah, we got an offer. Let's take up an offer. We need your money. Thank you.